Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, welcome to our Lads and Powers. This is Scott Powers, joined by Mark Lazarus. Here we are on a windy, windy Thursday, yeah? Today's Thursday. Oh my God, I, I got to my car last night after the game and I opened the car door and it almost flew off. Like I thought the whole car door was going to rip off. And then I'm driving down to Bishop Ford on the way home. And like four different times, my car started creaking. Really? Like a relatively new car. I could hear it like creaking in the wind. And like I was like, I'm going to get picked up and deposited in like Chicago State University or something like that. It was a uh, You have like one of those Flintst- Flintstone cars where you got to run with your feet? Apparently. Yeah. Apparently that's what Mazda makes now. <laughs> um. So you were there last night. You, you were writing another story while this was going on. So you were, you were busy. But. Was, I was hiding in a hallway trying to talk to an epidemiologist with a recorder stuck in my ear to make sure I could understand what he was saying. It was, you know, you know, journalism. I, I, I feel like a lot of us had so many different interviews in that hallway. That was it the hallway between the uh, the stairs and the uh, like the food stuff there and the yeah yeah the, where there's like a little curtain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like just past just past Frank Pelico's organ. There's like a little quiet area you can kind of get in there. The yeah. problem was he called me the, the uh, Brian Labus. He calls me right as the first intermission started. Like if he called me during the game, it would have been quiet there. But he called me right during the intermission. That's when all the traffic is going and people are coming and going through there. And I'm like trying to ask questions about you know COVID and everything. So you know it was fun. Yeah. What uh, <laughs> I, I guess before we get into the hockey stuff, what what do you feel like you learned and, and took from those conversations yesterday and what you wrote today? Well, you know, it was interesting. Like a lot of it is stuff that I feel like I knew and I, have you know, haven't been shy about harping on on Twitter about, you know, get vaccinated, get boosters. And that's the really only way out of this is, to, is when we get better numbers for that. But um, my big question was, you know, this is something we've talked about before is should players get tested every single day, whether they're asymptomatic or not? 
And, and my thought was, if we're testing asymptomatic players, we're just going to keep getting positive tests that aren't necessarily relevant. And, uh, and and Dr. Labus, he was really good. He said, no, this is what this is exactly why we test is, is to find infections among asymptomatic people so that we could, you know, siphon them off to the side before they start infecting other people. So um, that was my biggest takeaway is that basically, you know, you wouldn't know this by reading the comment section because nobody read the story that's in the comment section. But basically the point of the story is the NHL really is doing a lot of things right here. They're doing the best they can. They're doing what's reasonable. They have, I think there's one player in the NHL, Tyler Bertuzzi, who's not vaccinated, That's which is incredible. Um, they're, they're, they're recommending boosters. We need to get mandated boosters. That would be important. Uh, uh, Kevin Kurz, our new Islanders writer tweeted today that the Islanders are fully boost boosted. That's important because as the virus changes, uh, so too does the medicine really, it has to change a little bit too. Um, our tactics as, as, as Brian Labus put it. So, um, that was my biggest takeaway is that the NHL is doing a pretty good job of this and this is still happening. That's, it's yeah. just the reality of the situation is this isn't going to go away. We're going to have spikes like this. And until the population as a whole is better equipped to fight it by being more than 65% vaccinated, this is how we're going to live. This is how sport, look at the NFL, look at the NBA. This is how it's going to be until we really kind of get this virus under control. Yeah, I, I'm I, 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 This season, I feel like it's going to be this way. I'm, I'm curious a year from now where we are with, uh, at, at that point, hopefully all children can be vaccinated and like yeah. there's just a, a chance for a larger percentage and hopefully some people will get convinced. But at some point, like it's going to the leagues and I think the sports are going to have to kind of figure out where where they stand with uh, just having to live with this in our lives. You know, right. like, it, it, well, that's 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 what that's what, you know, he told me is basically he's like he's like, you know. We live with the flu, right? And, and and it's funny because the talking points on kind of – again, I don't understand how science became political, but it, let's just face it, it has. The talking points on both sides are the same, right? This – you know, you've, you've got people who dismiss COVID as, oh, it's just the flu. And then you've got people on the pro-science side saying, we want it to be just like the flu. Like yeah. we're all we're, – we're trying to get it to the point where it is indeed just like the flu where it's – this sucks. Nobody enjoys having it, but it doesn't threaten anyone's lives for the most part. Nobody gets hospitalized. Nobody's dying. You know, you just – you know, it might go through the room every year. Oh, we've got a COVID outbreak in 2027. Uh, COVID's running rampant through the room. We, how many times have we written about how the flu has run rampant through a locker room before? I mean, we're looking at it right now. I mean, Jujar Kara was sick and Caleb Jones was sick and a couple other guys were sick. And Borgstrom sticks on now. Henrik Borgstrom, yeah. He put him on IR for it. And, you know, Derek King kept joking it was bad shrimp, but they all had the flu. That's what this is. And we need to get to the point where COVID is indeed just like the flu. But the thing is, we've got hundreds of years of research on the flu and we've got 21 months on COVID. So we're just not there yet. So all the people who haven't turned off the podcast and just <laughs> angry at us. And you know, we'll it's, so, it's so funny. You know, like like four four days ago, whatever it was, I came home from Toronto with my four foot tall Carlton the bear. It was like the most wholesome and fun and enjoyable thing I've ever had on Twitter. Everyone was like having fun with it. We were all having a good time. I'm taking silly pictures of him like he's flat Stanley. It was this wholesome, fun, beautiful thing. And today I'm a fear cuck. I'm an asshole. I'm everything that's wrong with the world. I'm afraid to leave my house. It's just like the complete opposite side of Twitter is back. And this, this, this feels like my new normal. I'm, I'm back to my normal, which is what, what you need to do is, is, is have like your, your profile photo be with the story with the picture with the with the stuffed animal you <laughs> know like, <laughs> it just it just changes the tone of every message you know like instead of saying getting vaccinated it's like get vaccinated yeah and Carl a nice carlton the bear will give you a big <laughs> hug if you get vaccinated it's all about the delivery um <laughs> uh, so the blackhawks last night uh I, I for me that was one of the i don't know more entertaining games they've been involved yeah in, and certainly 
And I, and I think I just basically, like, when you score three goals in 34 seconds, like, people people seem to enjoy that stuff. But um, and, and then, for you know, like, if they lost that game, like, it would have been a different tone afterwards, certainly, too. Like, they they, they wasted three goals in 34 seconds. But Well, that's uh, like the you, Toronto game, right? The Toronto game was fun until they lost, right? Yeah, yeah. But you add in, like, the flurry, you know, like, flurry's night and, and just, you know, like, the excitement of it and the overtime. And, and for the Blackhawks to come out on top, like, I... Um, I, I still don't know if this is a good team. Like they're certainly in a better place, and um, you know, like more often than not, Washington probably wins that game. But it, it's it's a team that's you know, like you 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 had that piece earlier in the week about the defensive. You know, last night wasn't a pure example of that, but uh, the, the defensive plays improved. This is obviously a happier team. Um, we'll see if the scoring continues, but they've they've scored some goals the last few games. Like there's a lot of positive things around this team. You know, like they're. Um, you know, like they're giving other guys chances, you know, like, you know, Brett Colley, maybe not the answer either, but I, I think, you know, Entwistle's healthy and, um, you know, Reichel, maybe, you know, not either Reichel, the fact that Reichel's not going to the world juniors and, and maybe if he, when he's up to speed, they bring him up. I, I don't know. This feels like it's not, they're trying to necessarily try to make the playoffs. I mean, that's the goal, but I, I do think there's a little bit more hope that they can maybe find well, a way back in this race. Well, it's, it's it's interesting too because they don't really have any kind of impetus to be bad either, right? Cuz they they they've almost certainly won't they have They need a first to be historically bad like they, yeah, they right. They they would have to like be like they were the first 10 games of the season for the rest of the season to get back into the real running for first to second lottery spot. So, uh it, it's kind of a no lose. I mean, yeah, there's a difference between picking 33rd and 43rd or whatever like that. There is some difference there, but for the most part, you know, the Blackhawks aren't getting a generational talent next year in the draft this spring. So they have no reason. It's like college football. In college football, you know, you could be as bad as you as as bad as you might be. You pop an upset in November and it's great and it's so fun. And, and it's it's like it's 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 fun with no strings attached because there's no draft to worry about. There's no there's nothing bad that comes from winning a game in college football. Whereas you know, when you get in your head, we need a good draft pick, you start like almost lamenting victories and they kind of have a, there's like two sides to that coin. He kind of like, it, 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 it tempers the fun. If there's any silver lining to the fact that the Blackhawks don't have a first round draft pick next year is that you can just enjoy it when it's good. You don't have to go, oh man, what if that's the one that costs us? It's not going to be like that. They're not going to have a first round pick unless they make some kind of trade or something like that. Their, their finish in the standings is very unlikely to affect their draft. So you might as well just, you know, take these games that you can. Because remember just how miserable everybody was six weeks ago for so many reasons. Uh, it's nice to be able to sit there and watch a game and, and, and as a fan and just enjoy it and be happy. And, you know, there's there's been a lot more of that lately. Like Derek King said, it's been win-loss, win-loss, win-loss for a while here. But, you know, if they can string together a couple of – the offense is coming back. Taves uh, uh, and, and Kubalik, maybe the floodgates are going to open for them. And, you know, maybe this team gets a little more fun to watch and not just competitive. And that's what you want to see. And – Really, there's there's no harm in it if you're a Blackhawks fan right now because you're screwed next year anyway. I, I think part of it too. I mean, Kyle Davidson's assessing this team, and it, it would benefit him that some if some players started playing well, and <laughs> you know, like they're more just uh, yeah, they're, they're probably bigger pieces of you know trade chips, and I, I think that they would like to move some people, you know, before the deadline, and I think some of that plays into it too. So like, if Strom plays well on the top line. Um, yeah, I guess you can always reassess it too. Say like, you know, we want Strom back, but I, I mean, from all, you know, considering how much they've tried to trade him, that you know, but it, but if Strom's playing well, you know, I should write a column to, about him. It's been a while. You should write a column. <laughs> Uh, I, I like how the running gag now is, I, is, is I'm obsessed with Dylan Strom, and you wrote one story about Eric Gustafson, 
and everybody um, thinks you're obsessed. I mean, we had like four questions like, how does Scott feel about Gus getting scratched? Like, like you wrote once, like, like I get the Strom stuff. It's kind of funny. I wrote a lot about Dylan Strom over the last few weeks because I found it an interesting story. But man, they, people think you love Eric Gustafson now. Yeah, no, it's especially with Shalunov's hurt right now. So there's not much, you know. <laughs> you got to cling to something, man. Yeah. But even like Strom is so, like Strom talked yesterday. I didn't include it much in the observations piece, but he was interesting again, like where he, he said that he felt like he was playing well and then they scratched him. Like, he, yeah, I, I like it's, yeah, I, I, there's a disconnect there. Like they ex- explained to what they want. And um, even now, like, Derek King said, you know, yesterday he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like, anyone can play between Kane and Debrinket. <laughs> and then, and then basically said when Borgstrom's back, well, he's like more of a centerman than Strom. So, like, I, like, I feel like when they're healthy again, that there's really not a space for Strom. So, like, he better, yeah, maybe he really it is. It, it. It's just an interesting case. And this is why I keep coming back to it because there's, there's not a lot of interesting angles on this team. You know, we've written about Jonathan Taze and his long goal drought. Patrick Kane is, he's, he's, not scoring a lot, but he's still being productive. That the, the Strom one is an int- in, an, in a mostly uninteresting lineup. Dylan Strom is an interesting case because we know he's got the talent. He hasn't found the consistency, and he's getting kind of screwed every now and then. It's a compelling story, which is why I kept coming back to it because it just you know I, I wrote about it, and then I wrote about it again a month later, and then he immediately got scratched after his best game, which was just mind blowing to me. So I wrote about that on the night that Flurry got his 500th win. Because I didn't think anybody cared, and I was wrong about that. Uh, and it's it, 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 it's 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 a compelling story to me. That it's an interesting through line of this season is Dylan Strom because he's a proven scorer in this league who hasn't scored now in a couple of years. And so you know when you're a when you're a talented young player who gets judged, and you know your your spot in the lineup depends on every single shift you play. It feels like you're in the lineup, you're out, you're in, you're out. I don't know. I just find it a compelling storyline. And the fact that Strom is open about it and willing to talk about it and is insightful about it just makes it that much more compelling to me. It, it, and the fact that they don't have many offensive players. So this is right. one of them, you know, like it just. I did it, talk it, to Reese Johnson and I was going to write a story on Reese Johnson. And then he broke his collarbone. I'm trying, people. I'm trying. I don't think Godet's. I think Godet's only played one game for Ottawa since he's uh, he's gone over there. He played that first game. He scored a goal. And then I think he's sad since then, too. Uh been interesting but uh yeah last night the uh the offense was interesting because they, they were struggling there you know mightily and then the five and three kind of sparked you know yeah. like the power play the first two power plays they didn't have a single shot on goal like the narrative became that they were pretty good on the power play last night but like the first two power plays were awful and then they get the five on three and they score the goal and then kershev scored the goal and, and, and twistle like you just yeah it's um yeah, it was crazy when you look at the record books, like how quick, like like thirty four seconds seemed like you know, like that nothing, and then just how how often that's already you know, like happened. Like I thought it'd be like in the top ten or something in the league's history, but yeah, thirty four seconds, three goals. <laughs> I mean, that one Blackhawks I uh, scored three times in twenty one seconds. Yeah, so. that's a that's a legendary moment. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's it's. Yeah, I guess a lot of those probably come off of five on threes. You imagine you score on the five on three, and then you're still on a five on four. You immediately score again, and then you just get a quick one after that. I mean, you could see how it happens because it just happened. But uh, it, it seems like it happened a lot in the olden days. Yeah, you know, I, well, you know there I, was I, one. I didn't realize it happened once when, during. Uh, I think it was the sixteen seventeen season when Richard Panic was at his yeah. uh, peak. But the it was great Richard Panic and. Uh, and Panarin did it in 34 seconds. Yeah, I think it's only happened like what it was like eight or nine times in like the quote unquote modern era, like since like 1980. I guess you would consider that. So yeah, uh, it, it's still pretty rare. But in in the old days when 
you know, goalies were wearing like, you know, uh, pool noodles on their legs for, for, uh, for pads and didn't know how to do the butterfly. It was a lot easier to score. It's been interesting covering Flurry. You know, obviously you had a little bit more experience with him and just even back in Pittsburgh. But well, that was a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just, it's, it's, he's entertaining you know obviously the fact that he's playing better like early in the season like I, I know the metrics are better but he he certainly wasn't playing that well I don't think but no. for him to be playing that well and then us having just a more opportunity to talk to him like he's he's yeah he's he's great I mean he's yeah, just he, like he's he he's he's everything everybody says he is right I mean you always hear about it and then the guy comes in he kind of lives up to the hype as he's easygoing he's pleasant he thanks you after an interview you know he's funny uh, it's it, it's really not. It, I keep joking that I want to write a whole bunch of stories about him now before they trade him because we don't have him very long potentially here. <laughs> but you know, you, I, I, again, it comes back to that 500th win where I didn't really focus on that, and people were kind of up in arms about that. And you know, we've seen guys come in here and hit milestones that don't feel like Blackhawks milestones, like. You know, before our time, Peter Bondra, his second goal with the Blackhawks was his 500th goal ever. Peter Bondra's a capital. He's not a Blackhawk. Yeah. You know, we we all covered Chris Kunitz's kind of awkward thousandth game ceremony. And it, it was not the same as, say, Marion Hosa's thousandth or Seabrooks or Keith's or any of these guys' thousandth game ceremony. But with Fleury, it was different because everybody just loves the guy. Now, part of it was it happened in Montreal. That added so much kind of magic to it when this angry, embittered Habs fan base just spontaneously burst into cheers at the end of the game after Fleury shuts them out, chanting Fleury, Fleury, you know, the, the in his native province. And it was such a great moment. And the Blackhawks were were so happy for him because they've come to love him so quickly that it, it kind of, if that happens in Nashville or, you know, Glendale, I'm not sure it feels the same. But that ceremony they had last night, that's the kind of ceremony you have for a Patrick Kane, for a Jonathan Taves, for Marion Host, where you bring out their family and just highlights and there's video messages every single stoppage of play. It wasn't just before the game. It was throughout the whole game. That doesn't happen for a first-year player unless you're just as goddamn lovable as Marc-Andre Fleury is. Uh, he's really a special character in, in, in NHL history about – like nobody, have you ever heard anyone say even the slightest bad thing about Mark Andre Fleury? Like, there's nothing you could say. He's just the best. Yeah, it's. I was talking to, uh, I, I I talked to Crosby before the season, before something else, and I had, I said, "Oh, do you mind if I ask you about, you know, name dropping? I like it." I, I, about Fleury, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh, you know, we we need another half an hour, hour just to talk about him, just you know, like, and and that's and that's how most people kind of express about him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, 
We uh we have some questions, yeah. Like I believe you you're good about that. Yeah, I'm good about, about that because I can read. Yes. Um. Well, we got some COVID questions. I don't know if I want to turn off all of our listeners yet, but uh, I'm still alive. Says, should the NHL just suspend operations until after the Christmas break to get this COVID outbreak under control? I, I, no, I don't think they necessarily should. I mean, they, they're doing the right thing by postponing these games. Like teams should not be put in the position that. So like like the Islanders were uh, earlier this year, and some teams were last year. Um, but I, I think just shutting it down. I mean, it, I don't know if it's going to make a difference. It's Christmas time; guys are going to go out with their families. They're going to go celebrate Christmas. They're going to go shopping for their for gifts and things like that. I don't know if there's a way. Again, short of just boosting everybody and kind of getting through this uh, n- this new wave of, of, of Omicron. It is what it is. This is just how it's going to be. And I don't think necessarily just shutting the league down is the right way to do it because that has a ripple effect. And we've seen how difficult that can be for the league. This is still a business. And if you do that, you know, you, the, the Olympic break, whether the players go or not, you might not be able to use those dates. A lot of arenas have booked those dates already. Uh, there's not a good way through this. And I think we're, the NHL is just going to have to power through the best they can. Yeah. And the, the whole winter is going to be like this, you know, like I, I, I think it's it's not going to just be these next two weeks. I think throughout the winter, it's it's going to this is going to be it's going to be present in society. And, you know, like I know the, they're going to tell the players, you know, try not to interact with people and all those things. But it, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's impossible in your family and your friends. And, you know, like you're just, it's, it's hard to really shelter yourself from it. So I, I think, you know, like you, they have to do the best they can and prevent the most they they're able to. But I, I think it's just unrealistic to think that two weeks from now, like everything's going to be better. Like, I, I think this whole winter, um, you know, like the best thing you can do is get, get boosted, get vaccinated, get the flu shot, you know, like just, it's not even just, uh, you know, obviously COVID's the priority, but even the flu, you know, like it seems like it's been more, a little bit more rampant and, um, you know, they're expecting a tough flu season too. So yeah, I, I, uh, at this point, I mean, it's, you know, like they have the holiday break, so at least they have three or four days there and, you know, teams can reset a little bit, but, um, I mean, a lot of it's schedule wise too. The league's just, you know, the, fa- the fact that they're, you know, hoping, you know, the players are obviously hoping go the Olympics and the leagues, you know, planning for that. And, um, you know, like, even with the game this week, you know, the, earlier this week with Calgary, it's like, well, yeah, it was nice to have the day off, but it's like at some point we get a, the Blackhawks and have to squeeze this game in again. Still, like they're still right. going to play all these games, you know. So, and we don't even know I, if tomorrow's game against Nashville is going to play. I mean, they've got more coaches in protocol now. I mean, that's it's a distinct possibility that tomorrow's game gets postponed. I mean, there's there's, there's going to be a lot of this going around. Oh, for sure. Yep. Um, emergency QB asks any update on Jujar Kara's status with Gabriel joining the lineup. Will Slavin be the odd man out? Who else sits when Kara returns? Thoughts on Connolly's play last night. King's D man scratch rotation seems like Gus drew the short straw last night. All right, that's cheating. That's many, many questions in one. <laughs> um, my sense I, from all accounts, Jujar Kara is, is doing, you know, as well as could be hoped given the severity of the concussion he, 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 uh, he received, but I think that the Gabriel, acquisition, the Curtis Gabriel acquisition, is a clear sign that the Blackhawks think this is potentially long-term, right? I mean, they brought in a guy to do basically what they brought in Kara for, to be a physical presence, to fight if need be. Um, you don't make a trade for a guy like that if you think Kara is only going to miss a couple of games. So my sense is uh, his return is certainly not imminent. And with any concussion, you never know how long it's going to take, but they're going to be extra careful with him after that one. Yeah, Derek King said uh, said after practice the other day that he's been around and it's been great to see him. But he, you know, he, he said that it's probably going to take him a while. Like, it's a bit of a yeah. bit of a road for him to come back. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Gabriel thing was even before that. Like, it, you know, King said like he felt like he wanted to have an enforcer, and I, I think Jujar Kara can be that. But they uh, like 
they they saw that Kara had like more of an upside to his game too, where he's obviously played up in the lineup and that sort of thing too. So um, I don't, I, I'm not sure if the trade happens exactly like that, but they, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes out too. Like there's, uh, you know, like Borgstrom, once he gets healthy, he was playing, you know, playing pretty well at that point. And now you get Entwistle back. And um, yeah, I imagine Jos- Josiah is the one that's probably out. I mean, uh, you know, he's been pretty good. I mean, he's, he, yeah, he's been he, fine. He looked, yeah. he looked really good in his first couple of games. He's been fine since. And, you know, uh, they got, they got a lot of the, uh, waivers comes into play. You can send Slavin down whenever you want. You can't necessarily send other guys down. Same with the yeah. whistle. So that's going to come into play. Uh, this is the, this is the, "Quote unquote problem the Blackhawks have had for a while is they've got a lot of guys who are kind of similar, a lot of bottom sixers, and you got to pick and choose which ones you want to keep in the lineup. And you know, with the bad shrimp going around and COVID, I mean, it's distinctly possible they'll need all of these guys throughout the rest of the season. So, and and it sounds like it's going to be that same way with that's that that sixth defenseman too. Where even you know King said last night that taking out Gustafson was difficult. Like he felt like Gustafson playing well, and you know, the analytics support that. But they also felt like they want to get Caleb Jones in there and. Um, I, I think they expected Washington to be pretty physical, so they ke- want to keep Riley Stillman in there. And you know, he, he said basically, you know, we're going to take, we can take anyone out, of, maybe except for Seth Jones. Seth Jones and, you yeah. know, they're not going to take out, you know, Connor Murphy or, you know, I would imagine McCabe or Dahan at this point. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting, and maybe it's going to rotate from game to game. But you know, it, it, Caleb Jones having an assist and certainly game winning goal, I'm sure helps his. Uh, it is probably just tougher for the younger guys, knowing like for Kalanick and Mitchell, who you know have had good spurts here, that they just they're gonna have to wait their turn. Like it, it's gonna have to be an injury because there's there's already seven here, and um and, and they're obviously pretty happy with how most of those guys are playing. Yeah, on that topic, Jim Cullen and asked why isn't Ian Mitchell getting more ice time? He looks good when he plays. Sure, he makes some mistakes, but isn't he a key future piece on the back end? And it's interesting because for all the reasons you just said, that's why he's not playing right now. They did bring him up uh, when they needed him, and he, he did play well. He played. I hate to say this, but surprisingly well. Like I, I, I'm, I'm not here to say that the, that the Hawks were ready to move on from Mitchell and Nicholas Bodan, but their the the bloom was kind of off the rose there a little bit. Like they they started to see them as maybe not big big pieces of the future like they'd seen a couple of years ago, and they were starting to look ahead to that next wave of defensemen, the Alex Vlasics and you know Ethan Del Mastro, and there's uh, you know, the Wyatt Kaiser. There's other guys down the road, and Mitchell and Bodan were were starting to look like maybe they aren't big pieces. Mitchell came in and he played really well. So again, there's there's going to be a need for a lot of guys coming for the rest of this year. I think that's going to be pretty safe to say, and I don't think that's the last we've seen of Ian Mitchell, but he still has a lot to prove before he's going to be an everyday guy up here. There's there's nothing wrong with being extra patient with these defensemen, you know. Like mm-hmm. I, I feel like the Blackhawks were just accelerating everyone so quickly and, and some of it was because of a need because they just weren't they just didn't have many NHL defensemen you know and they needed those young guys to step up and um but yeah I mean you, you look at how Gustav Forsling's panned out or even Lucas Carlson's played really well for the Panthers now like you just give these guys time and, and Mitchell mentioned that you know playing 25 minutes a game has helped him in, in Rockford he's playing all situations and you know like he's getting a lot of those reps but also like you know he talked about simplifying and um, they have a lot of pretty good defensemen down in, in, in Rockford now, you know, with Regula and, and Isaac Phillips and Bodan, and, um, you know, Michael Crudel, who just went to uh, the Czech Republic for the World Juniors. And, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of guys that, that you know, like that there's uh, Jacob Galvis, um, that, yeah, just give them time, you know, like there's, yeah. there's no reason to push them. Like they, they, they signed these other guys, they brought these other guys in to accelerate the process because those guys weren't ready. 
Um, and just because Mitchell or Bodan and whoever is in here now, like it doesn't, it doesn't mean that in a year or two, like they won't be ready or something will click. Like, we've yeah, seen it, it's, it, I feel like, like, like guys like Adam Boquist and, and even Forsling, when he first came up, they've almost wrecked the curve in the eyes of, of, of fans where they think if you're not in the NHL by 20, 21 years old, then you're somehow a failure. Ian Mitchell's 22. He turns 23 next month. The, the free for, for, you know, time immemorial, the, the conventional wisdom has been, a defenseman doesn't really hit his prime until his late 20s. It's not like a forward where, you know, you come in and you're awesome at 21. Most defensemen, it's 24, 25, 26, and then you're really at your best, 27, 28, 29, and then you fall off the cliff when you go into your 30s because we're all going to die someday. And But it's, it's also that th- those young guys, I mean, Boquist and Forsling, like, they didn't really pan out. Right, like, but, but, but they like, were here. Like if, you'd given, if you'd given Yoki Haru even more time, like, he might have even, you know, like, it was... Maybe they don't move on from him so quickly. They just give him a chance to develop. Even like playing those NHL minutes was nice, but I, I think there's unless you're you know Makar or someone like that. I, right. I think the there's there's a higher yeah, and even Makar. I think Makar was 21 or 22 by the time. Yeah, he I mean, finally he spent a couple in. of years in college. Yeah, yeah. like it's. I, I think I think even Yoki Haru had gone back to Portland, or if he had stayed, you know, in Rockford. Like maybe there's just having those guys down there out down. You know, like. I think it just became such a need that the Blackhawks were like, you know, like we know these guys are getting old. We don't have other guys coming in because they had drafted so poorly or just or didn't develop, you know, properly there for a stretch that all those guys are became accelerated. And uh, and I know everyone hates like Boquist now still, but it's like he's still like I think he just he just turned twenty one, you know, and like he's he's scoring goals and. Um, yeah, like it just the, the curve for the defenseman is often, you know, just a little bit. Well, yeah, I always I always come back to this. Duncan Keith spent two years in college and then two full seasons in the AHL, and then broke into the NHL. I mean, he, he spent a year in junior too, right? Yeah, well, he, I, I think he split a year, his second year of college, yeah, second year junior, State, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's not linear. It's not just you just. Right, no, it's not like sure, you're drafted yeah. and then if you're going to be great, you're going to be great right away. It doesn't work that way. So. Yep. Uh, you know, nobody's writing off Ian Mitchell or Nicholas Baudin yet, but you know, the 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 the, the time frame changes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Again, there's there's not much of a rush here because the Blackhawks are kind of in a in a, in an evaluation stage anyway. Um, Ryan asks, what player do you see has been most improved under Derek King since he has taken over? Um, for me, I, I look at Reese Johnson. I mean. This is the story I was going to write before he broke his collarbone. Uh, he was statistically speaking the worst player in the NHL by quite a big margin during that first start under Jeremy Colleton. He he was at like a 20 point something percent uh, expected goals. It was so bad. And he was just getting swamped every time he was out there. And then somehow over the last five or six weeks, he turned into a solid player, like a good third line. I mean, he was getting second line mins with Jonathan Taze and he was producing on that line, uh, generating chances. He was forechecking well. He was doing the right things in his own end. He plays that simple game that, that Derek King wants. And, you know, Derek King obviously knows him having coached him in Rockford. And for whatever reason, the comfort level was there. His 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 profile got raised a little bit. And, you know, I, I was hard on Reese Johnson early in the season. And he deserves credit for really turning that around since King took over. Uh, it's really unfortunate that he broke his collarbone just as he was getting kind of a bigger role. But uh, as long as Derek King's here, Reese Johnson will have a role because King loves that guy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think some of the defensemen have looked better, you know. Like, I think uh, the system's helped them a little bit and, and certainly being less time in the defensive zone. I think Seth Jones, like, he looked, you know, like, he, I think he had more up and downs, you know, early in the season. And now, like, he, there's a little bit more consistency in his game. And, um, you know, I, I think McCabe's had some some better games, but... Um, yeah, as a defensive group, they obviously struggled so much. And I mean, Gustafson was, you know, like at least analytically, that's probably the one that's had the biggest jump from what he had mm-hmm. been and just how much of a liability he was. And, um, 
but yeah, when you look at the forwards, like it's like the, the defensive numbers are better, but it's not necessarily like they've, uh, I, I King surprising who's, who's an offensive player. Like he hasn't like, it hasn't, I, I think that's the part where they felt like they needed to shore up was the defensive side. And, um, you know, like eventually they do need Kubalik and Borgs from those guys to, to produce if they're going to win some games. But they, I, I think defensively, it's it's been a lot different. I want to touch on this one. I thought this was interesting. Adam Springer asked, assuming the offensive struggles continue for the next several seasons, given there isn't much hope for our forward prospects, do you think Patrick Kane has a chance to break all the Blackhawks scoring records? And what about American born player records? I was just looking up those numbers before we went on on the uh I don't know if you can call it air here, but before we went on the air and, you know, Kane right now is about 355 points behind Stan Mikita for all time points among Blackhawks. I mean, it's a no brainer. He gets to that mark. The question, of course, is, is he going to get to that mark with the Blackhawks? He will get to 1500 points. Will he be here for what the four or five seasons it takes to get there? I would still lean towards. Yes, he's still so good and valuable and sells tickets. The Blackhawks aren't going to really want to part ways with him. Can he get to Bobby Hull's 604 goals? That's, ooh, some math here, 193 goals away. <laughs> That's, I mean, he's he's not the last two seasons now. This year and last year, he hasn't been the goal scorer he once was. So I don't know if he's going to be able to quite get to 604, but the points total is definitely within reach. As for American-born players, I love that we always have to say American-born because right. Brett Hull is a dual citizen, doesn't count. But, uh, you know, he certainly will get to the points. I mean, Hull leads among uh, American players at 1,391 points. He can you know, past that in a few years he will not get to 741 goals but can he get to uh is it uh it's modano modano's got the, the lead in uh, goals among american born players at 561 that's a little more realistic i mean kane already right now is ninth all time he's five behind tony amonte he's 18 behind bill Guerin, pat lafontaine after that joey mullen jeremy ronick lots of blackhawks on here keith kachuk and then it's modano and hull uh i think Without question, he will retire as the greatest American-born player of all time. I think he already is one. Already is that, frankly. Um, I do think that he will end up as the Blackhawks' leading scorer of all time, too. I think that Stan Mikita's record will fall, and I think that Kane will be here to do it. Uh, we have a question about the World Juniors and whether the Blackhawks are disappointed about having four players in the World Juniors. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't. I, I guess I don't. I don't have a sense of where organizationally they had expectations. The fact that Reichel's not going changes it, and. Uh, I know one of the other draft picks, one of the Swedish guys, uh, it was injured early in the season, so he, it ruined his chances. Um, uh, and, and then I, I, what's his, uh, Nolan Allen was sort of a uh, yeah, kind of a toss up. They weren't sure if whether, whether he'd be considered or not, just because he is more of a defensive defenseman. So um, I'd, I'd like to take it a dive into Nolan Allen's game at some point here in the coming weeks, months to kind of see where he's at. But like he's a guy that because of all this defensive depth, like it's. They they can be patient with him, you know. Like that's that's the upside. Is uh, I mean, certainly with first round picks, usually you want them within a few years to sign. Like I mean, he'll sign, but um, just to, to be closer. But I, I think they're gonna be they can be really patient with him. Uh, we had a question about the the John Doe uh, two lawsuit, which I I think they're gonna uh, they'll be in negotiations and I think it's next week, right? Yeah, next week. I think the twentieth. I think the date was so. Uh, we, we didn't talk much about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're I think we're all happy to see that this came to some kind of resolution here. The Blackhawks settled with Kyle Beach and his lawyers. Um, we don't know the number. I'm sure. It, it, I, I hope it's it's sufficient for what Kyle Beach was looking for. I know it's not going to, you know, it doesn't erase anything that happened. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's it's a, it's it's at the very least something. And, uh, you know, this is this is something that's still going to, you know, 
we might be done pretty soon writing about the, the actual legal aspects of all this as these cases, these uh, lawsuits get settled. But um, the ramifications of this, and you can tell it in the Blackhawks, you know, statement they released that, you know, they're they're trying to use this as a leaping point, leaping off point for a new direction for the franchise, a new culture in the franchise. Uh, I understand the skepticism that surrounds that among the fan base, but that's what we're here to do is basically to, you know, to hold them to that and hold them accountable for that and make sure they are doing those things. Scott and I have a lot of stories in the works um, that are going to be, you know, either directly or tangentially related to that, that culture and that, that need for change, not just in the sport, but in the organization in particular. So uh, this is a big moment. It's important. Uh, it's the end of a very, very, very ugly chapter, maybe the ugliest chapter in team history. Um, and uh, it's, 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 you know, we can only hope that Kyle Beach finds peace and closure and is able to move on with his life in, in whatever way he chooses. Uh, th- this was an interesting question. Someone was asking about, and it's probably a little bit too early, about Derek King becoming the permanent coach. And, um, yeah, like I, I, I guess we'll see how these next whatever. I mean, we got fifty games, whatever left. But it, like he, he'll have to, you have to have to give him some sort of consideration, right? Like just if, if things are turned around. And I mean, they're playing at a hundred point pace under him. If if, yeah. if they if they complete that way, then yeah, you have to, right? Like I don't think King expected at any point that he was going to be a long term answer here. I don't think the Blackhawks they all saw this as like a, a band aid. But you know, if this continues. And if the team likes him this much and plays this hard for him and succeeds, you certainly have to consider it. Yeah, no, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think some of it's going to be results driven. You know, like he, I, the Blackhawks finished well enough. Like at least he's in the conversation. I think at least he puts himself in that position. At least, well, it, it's in, just, you know, like the yeah, it's just interesting to see. Look. Like you know, other teams are moving so quickly. Like Vancouver cleans house. They immediately hire Bruce Boudreaux, and it's a, it's a, it's a two year deal. I think the second year is an option, so it's a short term thing. But it's they bring in a proven guy right away, and they bring in Jim Rutherford, and he's going to go find his GM. Like they're moving very quickly, and the Blackhawks we see are moving incredibly deliberately here. They are really taking their time to reassess and rethink everything they're doing and how they approach the whole you know organizational model. So it's interesting to see other teams move very quickly, and you know the Blackhawks are like, well, we think there'll be more options in the offseason. Well, you could add Bruce Boudreaux who is the regular season god who just turns everybody around and makes stars play really well. And if you're looking for Jonathan Taves to score goals and Patrick Kane to score goals, Boudreaux's probably the guy that could have done that. But So it's interesting to see how the Blackhawks have a very different philosophy about this whole uh, you know, next step than, than other teams are having. And, and a lot of it's obviously based on the beach stuff, you know, where it's like they – it's not just checking a box with – uh, having the right GM or the right president of hockey ops, like the, I think there's so much of the culture and what they're looking to establish as an organization beyond just. Um, and it'll be interesting because I I think it, there there's a challenge sometimes of uh, finding the right hockey guy and you know finding the right hockey person and um, and finding you know like the right person that fits what you want as well. So I, I think it's you know like if they obviously want to find the right person that fills all those. All, all that criteria so it'll be it'll be interesting you know like it's certainly the, you know there, there's some names that have already been checked off that we thought there were some possibilities but um but you know in the Orton, yeah yeah for sure and um i, know, I think so part I, of it also is i think the blackhawks because of not just the beach situation because just how dire things are here kind of have a luxury of time that you don't have like vancouver that's not a market that's going to sit idly by and just be patient for you as you like, that's that. That's fix this now. Fix this now. Montreal's the same way. Like these, the Canadian markets are a lot different than the American markets. Chicago can afford to take its time because there is some 
patience expected. I think that that doesn't necessarily exist in these kind of hockey obsessed cities north of the border. I think part of it too is that there's trust in Kyle Davidson and that, you know, like it's, it's someone that they probably foresee being part of this organization and whether it's GM or or whatever role after, you know, like the the conclusion of the rest of the search. But I I think that helps too. that. I think that they feel comfortable that Kyle Kyle Davidson had such a large role under Stan Bowman and, 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 you know, was, uh, you know, had his hand in a lot of different pots in, you know, with the different hockey ops departments that it's, it allows them to, to be patient where they think that Kyle Davidson's advising them and, you know, putting them in a positive direction. So, yeah. I think that about sums it up. Yep. We, uh, yeah, they got another, well, yeah, I guess we'll see what the national game's at. And there may or may Dallas not be a game and, tomorrow. We'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But, um, yeah, we got to get some more games and some stories in the works. And then we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be back at this, uh, thing. We'll do another podcast next week. And I think we're going to take the last week of December. Uh, we'll have a, a mini break for ourselves. And then, uh, yeah, 2022, here we come. <laughs> Can't get any worse, right? He says every year. <laughs> uh, from Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and this is Lazarus and Powers. We'll talk to you soon. And I know that I can fix it. I can help even just a little.